episode, returning guests Scott Lehman and your host and round of Canadian Larry Parsons are going to discuss torture porn. This is the second time that Rankin Review has discussed the subject. The first time, interestingly, was episode 9, and the second time, episode 149. Curiously, uh, episode 9 was followed by an episode called Homicide Made Hilarious, and episode 150 is going to be called Homicide Made Hilarious too. It seems history is strangely repeating itself in this podcast. But I guess it goes without saying that this is going to be a tough bunch of movies. And uh, as usual, you can expect spoilers, you can expect coarse language, and you can expect some pretty graphic discussion of some pretty graphic films. I get it if this is not your cup of tea, because, well, frankly, it's not usually my cup of tea. So... Uh, I'm gonna go uh, get allow my buttons to be pushed. I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy Rank and Review, I think you'll probably enjoy the Terror Table podcast, so consider giving the Terror Table podcast some of your time. And thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. Send me some feedback at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And check out my website at rankandreview.ca because I am Canadian. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a nice site. You can check out some previous episodes and uh, spread the word on Rank and Review. Let's talk torture porn, kids. Thank you so much, Scott. It's great to see you, even though we're not like for reals in person right now. Uh, we're getting to do another rank and review, which is always an occasion for me, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Happy to do it again. It's always oh. fun. And look at us using our technology to our benefit here. Uh, I'm talking to Scott from far off romantic Edmonton, Alberta. And um, we're, we're doing this uh, high tech podcast for the first time, so everyone hopefully will bear with us. But we're going to talk about torture porn, <laughs> as it has been so dubbed. This is the second episode in uh, ever that's been dedicated to it. And as I said the first time we did it, this might be my least favorite genre of horror. Yeah. I don't know if you're on the same page with me there, but um, 
I usually like a horror movie that have a percentage of fun to it. And a lot of these movies, there's a lot of descriptors we could use, but I don't know if fun would be the one <laughs> that I would that's, go to. That's fair to say. So For what sure. is it? What is the itch being scratched? What is the beast that's being fed when we watch movies like this? Why torture porn, brother? I, I think it's the name. The name torture porn that really turns people off of it. It's a dare almost. Because there's stigma attached to saying, hey, I'm going to go watch a torture porn movie. You sound like a horrible person right off the bat, right? <laughs> um, I know Sarah said, that my wife, I was watching one of these movies and she said, what, what are you watching? I can't remember which one it was. And she said, oh, what kind of movie is that? And I said, oh, it's torture porn. <laughs> and she didn't speak to me for the rest of the day. It's like, I'm a bad person. Why are you watching that? Um, I don't know. I really hate the phrase torture porn. I I understand it, I guess. it's. I I tried to look it up uh, where the phrase came from, and I guess it was a film critic, David Edelstein. Who started this whole ball rolling? And uh, he used it in, I think, 2006 uh, to describe films like Hostel Saw, The Devil's Rejects, Wolf Creek, uh, kind of defined by seeing people suffering slow, agonizing, torturous deaths. And that being the primary point of the work. That's right. I mean, uh, I've watched and reviewed a lot of movies where people die brutal deaths, but usually there's an overarching story beyond that. Right. Um, a lot of these movies seem to be just giving people the sex and violence and the ugliest corners of the sex and violence, and that's the product a lot of the time. And, and there's not always the sex involved in that. I mean, sex is involved in a lot of horror movies. And, yes, but, Absolutely. Uh, and the phrase torture porn, it sort of implies that the viewer is perhaps getting off on it a little bit. Right. And I think that's, you know, maybe not sexually, but maybe a little bit sexually. Right. It depends on the viewer. And, or maybe uh, sometimes I'm concerned one of these in particular, you wonder if the filmmakers even maybe enjoying it too much. Exactly. Um, but I think some of some movies that get called torture porn are maybe unfairly brushed aside. I'm saying I won't watch that because it's it's a torture porn movie because I've heard that it was. Uh, sometimes I wonder what makes certain films different. What's a torture porn? What's a slasher film? You know, why is Slumber Party Massacre a, a slasher film, and then Wolf Creek is is a torture porn? I think it's just the but, amount of intense fear and suffering shown on screen. A lot of the time uh, with these slasher movies, traditionally, there'll be a quick sort of, oh no, and then like this, the knife goes into the face and it's over, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the torture porn movies aren't about that. The torture porn, like, the centerpiece, what would call like an action centerpiece in a Marvel movie, is basically some chick strapped to a table dying an awful and slow death, right? Sure. So, uh, and I understand people getting, you know, finding that distasteful. Um, like I say, for me, it's just that I find them not fun. I don't mind, you know, a movie being difficult or tell, having some harsh subject matter, but it's going to hurt the repeat viewings of the movie if I feel awful after I watch it, right? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, and that's a lot of the time what I feel, either awful for myself for making the decision to watch the movie, or just awful because the subject matter of the movie is so extreme. And I know you're not inured to this. I seem to remember, I hope it was you, having a conversation with somebody about Martyrs. And you felt yeah. like the need to like destroy the, the the actual physical copy of the movie so that it was never watched by you or anyone again. Well, I didn't. I didn't actually do that. Oh, you but, thought uh, about doing it. I, I, I had that feeling. It's it's. I've watched this once, and I 
can't see a time where I need to watch that again. Yeah. I actually sold it and then rebought it actually at one point. I thought, you know what? There's there's maybe more to this movie. It had an effect on you. But I think yeah, but I think it's the period of like uh, 20, 25 minutes straight of a woman being punched and slapped where it just it got too much. <laughs> and there's no enjoyment in that. And we're going to bump into that a little bit this week, I think, on the show. <laughs> well, I mean, to kind of stay on just the general discussion on the topic, there are some films that are, no doubt, simply torture porn, where it's the torture and there's nothing else to it. Yeah. Have you seen or heard of, I'm sure, the American guinea pig films? I guess not. Okay, they're, uh, I believe they're Japanese. Um, oh, okay. Extreme films. Uh, I think there's one I've seen a bit, uh, it's called The Devil's Experiment, if I'm not mistaken, where that's all it is. It's a gang of people, they abduct a woman, and they torture her, and that is that is the film. Yeah. And it's there's no plot, it's only to see suffering, and it's, I found it very pointless, not even hard to watch, because, well, maybe a bit hard to watch, but it was, it was more like, why? Why would what I watch is this? this kind of thing that really bothered me? Um. It's it's just plotless, prolonged torture of, of a woman, and there's no redeeming factor at all. Right. No entertainment other than. But uh, but there are some films with torture that do have some redeeming, <clears throat> something further to offer horror fans. And I think torture can be used effectively as a fear tactic. Um, as you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've talked about that one before, and you know I'm a big fan of that. It's the gold standard for you. That might be. I mean, it's a slasher film, but. Uh, it could partially be considered torture as well. Uh, the whole final half hour of that film is just madness and, and torture. And there's a couple films in this six that we're going to talk about today that do have clear Texas Chainsaw Massacre influences. Oh, absolutely. Um, is there a certain point that, with that film specifically, why that one doesn't really get in this conversation? Or I think, like, we talked about it when we reviewed it, like, it's got this reputation for being super gory, but if you break it down, you don't actually see a lot of violence on screen in Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre. And the more it's disturbing the ordeal. aspects. It's I the, think or- the more... Sorry. <laughs> it's the ordeal that the characters are put through the constant manic like oh yeah. my fucking god and they sort of leave you there for as long as they can in that place so you get the feeling of the torture porn without the meat and potatoes of the torture porn and I think the torture's part of that film is probably the more horrifying part right but uh, I mean there's a couple other that popped to my head here um, for those of you that they can't see me, which I guess is everybody. <laughs> I, I actually have uh, my Fright Rags Stranger shirt on. Nice. Of a more recent film that uh, maybe it's not quite torture porn, but I think it kind of goes into that category a bit because there's not the straight killing. They fuck with the people for 90 a long minutes time. and then they kill them. Um, Vacancy is another film sort of like that where they kind of drag it out. Um, going back in time, you, you talk about Martyrs. Yeah. Uh, Last House on the Left, I think... Uh, Cannibal Holocaust, The Hills Have Eyes, would that qualify a bit? Um, I, that's really close. That's definitely a horror movie that's skirting the line of torture porn for me because the, of the rape and like the whole how personal things get yeah. <laughs> in those movies. I mean, these are films that are, they do sort of qualify, but they're not in that pile of, right. of torture porn, but uh, they very easily could be. So 
I think if someone's just going to brush it off and say, I'm not going to watch a horror film that's called that, I think you might be missing some, if you're a horror fan. Right. These are only for horror fans, mind you. It's <laughs> not for someone to test, you know, dip their foot in the horror water and see if they like that. This should be nobody's first horror movie. None of these movies should be your first <laughs> horror movie. I also just wanted to talk quickly about the sort of forbidden nature of the genre, like of horror genre. Basically, I think a large part of the appeal of the entire genre is that you get to see stuff that you're not supposed to see especially in that sort of tipping point age around puberty for boys where, you know, everything is forbidden to us. So, like, being able to see this stuff was, like, the suddenly exciting big deal. But uh, I, I do think that I'm glad that I discovered these movies later on. I'm As weird and dark as they are, I'm glad that I buddied up with, like, you know, the Evil Dead franchise and Friday the 13th instead of I Spit on Your Grave and Last House on the Left. Because, yeah... They're just inherently not fun. They are viscerally disturbing. I respect that people want to be disturbed and like getting that feeling and like the safe scare. It's artificial. We all know that this is pretend and make-believe. Let's be adults about this. So if that's your cup of tea, then fine. That's fine. Typically, I like to have more fun. I love, <laughs> But uh, we'll get into it. Is there anything you wanted to say else by way of introduction before we talk about these six torture porn movies? <laughs> Unless we can think of a new name to call them, but <laughs> torture <laughs> movies—it's the porn that really gives it the negative connotation more yeah. than the torture, yeah. isn't that I think weird? That somebody's watching. I spit on my grave with one hand on the remote and one hand under the table, <laughs> and it—it's it, just so ugly. <laughs> The, but go ahead. Yeah, the, si think, the six movies that we're going to talk about—we're going to talk about "I Spit on Your Grave," we're going to talk about "Saw 2, "Calvier" or "The Ordeal," as it is known. Hostel Part 2, Wolf Creek, and we're going to finish with another French extreme movie called Frontiers. Thanks so much for being here, brother. Right on. I'll make you feel like you've never felt before. God bless your hands. Wait do you feel this. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. No. No, not that. <laughs> I spit on your grave. I'm scared to death, I? What do you want? It's you I want. I find it really weird that there's a franchise that has been made out of I Spit on Your Grave. <laughs> it's been remade, and then that remake has had two sequels and a prequel now. Mm -hmm. Well, the prequel, is that the recent one you're talking about? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. I just know that it exists. I, I shouldn't That's, speak for it. Because I think you're talking about the direct sequel to this one, okay. to the original. That's the one where it's two and a half hours long. I don't know. <laughs> I have not watched it. <laughs> no. The thing about I Spit on Your Grave, which a lot of the times works for a horror movie, is its blunt simplicity. A attractive young writer wants to have a little sort of uh, personal vacation time to read and get inspired and do some work. 
and she is fucking brutalized by a bunch of guys, repeatedly raped, beaten, and humiliated by these fuckers, and uh, basically spends the rest of the movie hunting them down and wreaking horrible vengeance upon them. And that is it. It was originally called Day of the Woman. It's sort of, uh, I guess, like a... The director had this high-minded idea that it might be sort of some sort of feminist death wish type of thing, but in the end of the day, I think what this movie is about is watching this woman first be tormented and then uh, celebrate the violence of her vengeance. And uh, it's sort of... It appeals to every kind of dark corner of the psyche of the horror audience and to me in a way that doesn't make me feel good for having watched the movie. <laughs> no, there's, there's not a lot of fun to be had with this one. Zero fun. And I mean, the, the subject doesn't call for any fun. I mean, I would be more upset with the movie if it did like the Last House on the Left where there, or, or, or uh, what was that... Uh, the town that dreaded sundown where all of a sudden they had these weird comic moments that they threw in the movie for no reason at all. I think they thought they were breaking the tension, but in all they were doing is just being disrespectful of what had preceded. I think that there's some interesting choices, like the fact that there's almost no score to the movie kind That's of right. adds to a, like a weird, calm, disturbing element. Like it does feel like you're just lakeside somehow witnessing this horrible shit because yeah. that, that, that artifice is stripped away. And this sounds weird to say out loud, but I'll say it just the sheer amount of screen time that our main character is stark naked in the movie kind of wears away at you. Like it, it, it takes the power away from it after a point and, and, and uh, becomes you know, I repeatedly sort of had the scowl on my face and was asking myself what am I watching what am I watching <laughs> what am I watching and so at the end of the day no I did not have fun with this and I don't know who I would recommend it to <laughs> well you can't see it but I've been nodding yes much. I'm nodding in agreement to everything you're saying um getting back to you said there's no score really to the film right yeah, you're right. That sort of adds to the realism, I guess, and maybe the uncomfortableness of it, where maybe you might feel like it's not a movie. You're just like said, watching this, and and it's just it's really ugly. Um, <laughs> I don't. The thing is, I wonder if there's much to if, if we're gonna say much about it, because there's really not much to say. Well, there's stuff to say, but there's not much to the actual movie itself. Um, I mean, it's, you're right. It's uh, three. Is it three, three, four guys? Four guys, right? Four guys in total. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're clearly they're all shitty men, and uh, they just attack this woman unprovoked, completely yeah. unprovoked, and they uh, drag her through the woods, beat her, rape her, chase her through the woods, sodomize her, rape her again, follow her home where she's beaten again, and then raped with a bottle and. Uh, it goes and then on left for dead. and, and this, on. This takes up half of the movie. Yeah, where there's there's no break in between, and you're right, she's naked the entire time, and it's not it's not pretty naked. It's, um, it's it's dirty, bruised, bloody, and uh, the director lingers. He lingers on those long shots of her just crawling away naked, and it's it's not. In his credit, it's not sexual at all. Where I don't think you can say they're glorifying the rape, no, but still, not at all. They're still, 
<laughs> but it does go on, and it is the only reason that the movie exists. Now, apparently, he and this actress were falling in love at the time. They eventually ended up getting married. There was obviously a lot of trust between the two of them, as there would okay, necessarily be. Um, they ended well. They ended up getting divorced eventually. But the, you'd have to have a lot of trust in that director in order to put yourself through that. You'd have to be a very brave actress. And I'm going to give her credit for like going there. That cannot be an easy thing to do. Where it gets really even more distasteful. This was originally called the Day of the Woman. Yeah, well, I think it's just, is it just AKA Day of the Woman? Is that part of the title? In order to get it distributed, he was having a real hard time finding a home for this movie just because of how ugly it was. He had to make a deal with this uh, distribution company, and part of that deal was that they could change the title. So they could give it this fake title where they pretend it's empowering? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think he would argue that he was trying to do that, but I think at some point the exploitation did take over. Like, oh, for sure. <laughs> like, and by the time she's getting her revenge on these guys, like, I'm, I'm I guess, glad that she's getting revenge for these guys, but it, it has this weird inevitability. We know that she's going to get her revenge. We know that all of these guys deserve what's going to happen to them, and... It's not going to undo anything that we've seen. It's not going to, you know, uh, unbreak her. <laughs> like, she's now become this multiple murderer, this, this you know, victim. And yeah. if, you know, this sort of Dexter or Punisher version of empowerment is how we're going to approach the feminist slant on this, no. I would, I would argue that this is not a feminist movie. There's a uh, great book. I hope I'm saying this right. If not, I guess I'll collect it. I think it's... Uh, I'm sorry, what I meant to say was Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film by Carol J. Clover. That's the book I'm trying to reference here. That's what I get for going off the fly like that. Female empowerment in horror movies and how even though there's a perception that women are, are always victimized, that if you look at them plot-wise, typically the most powerful character in a horror movie is a woman. And uh, that there's, a, there's a, an alternate case to be made. But the entire book is almost underlined with how much time they spend on this movie. Because in this particular case, I disagree. Whether or not the intention was there, I think we could talk about. But I would say that they failed in making this a female empowerment movie. Like, utterly. <laughs> when, she, when she gets her revenge, she still uses sexuality as her main weapon. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of right there. It's, that's not the way, if you're going to be empowering women, that's not the way you should be using her, her main weapon um, I mean nothing really nothing enjoyable happens at all in this movie until the bathtub scene Right. I, I mean when you see that scene and what happens on it I mean that is is a little bit uh, it is a fitting revenge but, you know but, st- but still what, what leads up to it you yeah. know she goes and seduces the guy here let me run you a hot bath brings him home there's a prolonged naked scene where they're just talking to each other in the tub and yeah. and I, I just don't think this is how she would get her revenge um, I mean it's a fact of what she cuts his, his dick <laughs> off in the tub and leaves him screaming to bleed out but and I think every man in the world, whether even though we hate this character, uh, at some part of us is going to blanch at the idea of having a dick off. <laughs> but if ever a character deserved it. No, you don't feel bad at all for him. And, <laughs> uh, and arguably, I think that's probably the climax of the movie. Right. Because he's the main 
the main leader of the bad guy group. Yeah. Um, but there's still two more guys that she has to deal to with. Kill just as a matter of doing it. But uh, um, one of them tried to play the sympathy card too. I'm not such a bad yeah, guy. I've got a family. <laughs> like really? <laughs> oh, that was the main bad guy, yeah. Johnny. Yeah. And we meet his wife 90 minutes into the movie for some reason. We're introduced <laughs> to a new character. I love that. <laughs> no real reason. It's like, oh, now we gotta meet this lady. Um, and I, I even I listened a little bit to, uh, yeah, that's right. So we we're talking about the, the sexuality she uses to plot her revenge. Even the handicapped guy, she lets him have sex with her yeah. and waits until he's almost finished, and then she she kills him. Um, Why? I I do not know. Why? <laughs> Is it just so we can see her naked again? I mean, um, but again, we'd seen enough. Like, we'd seen enough. Like, 30 minutes into the movie, we'd seen enough. And there was a lot more movie to go. I fall back on my ancient, like, argument. Who is the movie for? Like, um, I don't think it's for feminist, you know, appreciators. It's not going to sell a feminist on the horror genre. In fact, I would say it's the opposite of that. I would yeah. say that Slumber Party Ma Massacre is a much more feminist horror movie than sure. I Spit on Your Grave. <laughs> But, yeah, I don't get off on the vengeance that much. I'm already worn out by the movie, and it, th there's something inevitable about it. Like, you know she's going to get her vengeance. You're not going to roll credits on her being buried in the forest somewhere, right? Well, there's there's a moment in the film, it's the second rape, where she's bent over the rock. The second rape, yes. Yeah. I mean, when she's being raped in that scene, she lets out possibly the most shrill scream in horror history. And it's at that point when you really, if you don't already, you don't really feel like, why am I watching this? Why am I watching this? Um, yeah, well, the reason I'm watching it is because my friend is a podcast and I have to finish <laughs> this. But other than that, you just, you don't feel good about yourself for watching this. There's no soundtrack. It's just screaming. And it's, uh, I mean, I can't imagine there's guys like that out there. There probably is, but. You know, the idea of holding someone down while your friend has his way. I mean, no. I don't want to be around doing that. It's Ugh. it's just so... I think that's what makes it worse is, you know, all these naked guys' butts around it. Well, and I'm not saying that there's not reality to, like, evil men and obviously abuse of power and men and women. Obviously, that's a very real thing. But there's something dopey about these guys that takes away from their reality. The fact that they would think that this woman would actually be seducing them after they subjected her to that makes them so stupid as to lose any credibility, right? But we put up with it because at this point we need to see some vengeance taken on her behalf. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I didn't enjoy it. I can't imagine a scenario in which I would watch it again. I don't understand or agree with it being a significant, quote, horror movie. I think the thing that makes it memorable is that it's as ugly as you would imagine it being. If ugly is what you're looking for, this delivers that, but that is all. Yes, I know Siskel and Ebert tore this one apart yeah. back, in, back in the door. I, I wrote down a quote. They think they, I was listening to some of the commentary on it just to get other insight on it, uh, and I think they call it sick, reprehensible, and attending this movie was the most depressing moment of my life. Ouch. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's fair. I mean, at least they did not show it as an erotic thing. Right. Um, they're holding her down. There's a lot of close-ups of the men's faces while they're doing it, and they're not 
you know, they're not pleasant close-ups, and a lot of man butt. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't know. I, there's probably a, pop, a percentage of people that are into that kind of thing, maybe for the wrong reasons. But um, I don't know. These prolonged sequences are, are are pretty disturbing. It's scarring, and I guess like in that way, it is effective on your psyche, and that you kind of feel like you can't unsee it. Yeah. But that does not make it a good movie. And there's sort of like a subgenre of movies, these rape revenge type yeah. films. Um, and you know, like this one's got, like you said, three sequels. And I just looked it up. It's uh, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, Deja Vu. And it was okay. just released, I think, straight to video. And it's uh, a direct sequel with the same cast. Ugh. And for some reason, it's two and a half hours long. I'm not interested. 90 minutes of this is hard to get through. This kind of film does should not be ninety or two and a half hours. I can't imagine a time when I would want to sit there for two and a half hours watching that. No, one and done. Um, thanks. <laughs> there is. Um, let me see. I wrote something on here. There's a more recent film called Revenge. Have you seen that? I have not. I know it by its reputation, though. <laughs> it's you know the same idea. It's a rape revenge film. Yeah. But that one is miles more entertaining than this. It's. Uh, I will recommend that film. Right. I've yes, heard a lot of people say good things about that. I just, I'm almost never in the movie, in, in, sorry, I'm almost never in the mood for a rape movie. You no. know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm in the mood for tonight? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that one, it's, uh, you got to let reality kind of go at certain points, but uh, but that one, you can't wait to see the guys get what's coming to them. Yeah. This one, you just can't wait for it to be over. Over. Agreed. Well said, brother. I want to play a game. Greetings and welcome. Right now, you are breathing in a deadly nerve agent. The only way out is to find an antidote. One is inside the safe. You all possess the combination in the back of your mind. Let the game begin. Let's just take a This whole house is a trap. Shut up! 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 Yes. There will be blood. <laughs> Saw the second. Um, I have been on the record on the podcast saying I'm not a big fan of the Saw franchise. I even kind of talk shit about the original Saw movie, which everyone sort of it introduced James Wan to the world, and like uh, he's been great for the horror genre. And it was nice for him to start out the gate so successfully. But for me, if they're going to do a, a horror franchise movie every Halloween, I would rather it be Halloween. I would rather it be Final Destination. I will even take Paranormal Activity over the Saw franchise. I just think that the, the, the killer in this franchise gets super pretentious. It gets super convoluted. And the whole series kind of wore me out. That said, I think we're sitting down to talk about my favorite Saw movie. <laughs> I agree. Saw 2, I think, is the strongest of the franchise. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if I was if this was a controversial opinion because, honestly, I haven't really dug that deep into the Saw world. 
Uh, I haven't I'm seen Jigsaw, but I do have all of the other Saw movies. So yeah, yeah, we're the same there. Um, I, I even question really if this first Saw is is really as much torture porn as it's given the reputation right? for. Um, it's almost kind of a thriller, mm-hmm. a bit more. I, that one I watched with my wife. Right. Like I watched it and I thought, you know what? I think Sarah could watch this. I found it kind of interesting, and it was different at the time. There wasn't a lot of stuff like that out. Well, there was plenty of like Machiavellian, super smart serial killer movies. Ever since '91, yeah. when Silence of the Lambs got nominated for Oscars, all of a sudden, you know, and Seven and movies like this, like there's always the Bone Collector, or Suspect Zero, or all of these evil serial killer movies it was not uncommon i would say but, right but i mean it was a bit you know it, was, it basically took place in a washroom mm-hmm. for you know one set kind of film there was other scenes as well but that was your main set piece yeah that uh, that old dirty washroom and uh, you kind of watch the story unfold as it happened you weren't really sure how it all tied together and of course there's the saw twist at the end as and always. then that became a staple for every film and as you've mentioned every sequel after got more convoluted and uh depended on other sequels and you know four you had to know this guy from three and then he comes back in six and you know it got too much yeah but i think saw one and two stand on their own very well right and uh saw two you talk about how i think you can have a lot of fun with that film yeah uh, just quick, quick service to the plot. Um, there's sort of two narratives happening. It seems simultaneously. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg, is it? It's Donnie Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Uh, he plays a, a gristled cop who's dragged into this case because his name is brought up, and uh, we're seeing video feed of these eight hostages that are in some factory or some kind of steel mill location, full of this, these jigsaw traps, and um, so. To further complicate things, one of the people in the traps is the cop's son. So he wants to kill this evil serial killer, but he also needs to make sure that his son gets out of the situation okay. The stakes are really high. Here's one of the reasons I think that Saw 2 is the best of the Saw movies. When it was written, it was not written to be a Saw movie. It was originally just sort of like another one of these high-profile, super smart serial killer movies. It was, okay. uh, but the, when they were looking for how are we going to do a sequel to Saw, they, they found this script and said, oh, well, with very minimal changes, this can become a Saw movie. This isn't unprecedented. They do that with the Die Hard movies, too. Oh. I mean, they have a good action script. They just switch the name, main character to John McClane and call it Die Hard 6 or whatever. These things happen. But I think that's fine. I, I mean, especially at the rate with which they were trying to get these movies out, one a year, they were just pumping yeah. the, the they were pumping the money machine for as long as they can to make as much money as they possibly could. And they didn't seem to be in that much danger of saturating the marketplace. It still, even on its seventh film, ended very strong financially. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, because this wasn't really uh, considered to be part of this vast uh, universe, at least in its conception, the characters are, are more there for me than they are in most Saw movies. Even, like, dumbass victim number two, who, you know, doesn't pay attention or is over-eager and gets herself killed because she, you know, acts before she thinks. Um, yeah, there's the typical asshole character, but it's he's fairly well realized. And uh, there's the likable character who just wants everyone to do the right thing. And you know to not bet on him living through this movie. <laughs> but there's enough going on, and it's entertaining and engaging enough. And you want to see this inevitable twist pull out, because you know that it's going to happen. At no point watching Saw 2 was I bored. 
Um, no, no, it moves along. And I, I think it helps because it keeps moving back and forth between the two scenes. Yeah. So when you're really getting into one, you say, oh, right, now there's this going on. Meanwhile, in the house. Meanwhile, back with Jake's on. And it goes back. It keeps it going. Yeah. Um, and I think what I like about Saw 2 a bit more than the other ones as they go on is the traps, which became the main thing about Saw movies. Uh, they weren't as complex as they would later become. They were kind of more simple and you know, perhaps a bit more realistic than... Uh, yeah. Well, like I say, it gets exponentially more ridiculous and sort of Rube Goldberg-esque, yeah. <laughs> needlessly compelling. We wonder, how did he put this together? Yeah. Um, what do you think I, of this Tobin one kinda, Bell? I think the traps they use in this, or even if they're traps, but uh, or games, I guess he calls them. Yeah. They're more, I think they kind of go towards a lot of fears, specific fears. So if you have an eyeball issue, yeah. like me, I could never have contact lenses because I can't put my finger on my eye. Or <laughs> when I see a movie with anyone's got like something by their eye, it's like, that's icky for me. I don't want to see that. It opens up with the guy has to dig a key out from behind his eye, and there's no way he can do it, or this steel cage is going to close on his head. Squish him, yeah. You don't Another think you would get is, out of that one, huh? <laughs> if you got a fear for needles. Yeah. Oh, that was the worst scene for me, actually, I think. Yeah, I agree. When you, there's a girl crawling around on this pit of dirty they close up of how dirty these needles are if you've got a fear of needles or if you're germaphobe yeah. anything that's a big fear and that's just uh you know hard to watch and she initially gets tossed in there but she's trying to move like gently at first but by the end she's just like shoveling and digging around and those needles are just like oh no and you see needles sticking out of her arm sticking <laughs> yep. out of her wrist it's it's horrible <laughs> You know, another guy burns. We've got a fear of burning to death. That's there. So I think it works in that way. Yeah. Um, even the girl that kind of stupidly perhaps puts her hand in that glass box because yeah. she sees the syringe with the antidote in there, um, and then she gets both hands caught in those steel razor blades. And if you notice, there. the lock's actually not even locked on that box. If she'd have stopped and thought before she acted, she could easily have gotten into the box. Like, the lock's hanging there, but it's clearly not locked. So it's it's all about, you know, taking a second and uh, not believing something that seems too good to be true. <laughs> it kind of, it turns into a bit of a funhouse movie after a while. You know, as things ramp up, everyone's trying to find their way out, and they got their own issues, their own problems, and that the badass of the group. Right. It's decided he's taking charge. He's getting out. He, you know, fuck the rest. Yeah. You know, he's walking around the hallways, stalking them all with a bat Baseball with nails bat. in it. He, he's got his escape from New York moment where he plants that in the back of someone's head. I mean, at that point, it becomes fun because there's so much going on. And now this guy is just lost it. He's getting out. And yeah. And you get, it's not just, I mean, obviously it's a cliche. There's usually that one character that's pain in the ass but because of the sort of preachy punishy idea that they're going with this saw character yeah there's a lot of built-in conflicts and a lot of built-in flaws with these characters it's interesting though that it's all about the donnie Wahlberg sort of somewhat crooked cop character yeah. right uh what do you think of tobin bell i don't know if i really have a strong opinion of him yeah, um, I think he'll always kind of you know, he pops up in other genre films, but he's always kind of jigsaw to me. But I think Tobin Bell thinks he's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I don't know. I I don't know if it's just the character from Saw because I think the character is highly pretentious. 
But I think, again, and it gets worse the deeper we get into this, but I, I get the feeling like Tobin Bell really loves, genuinely Tobin. loves Jigsaw. Like, thinks that this guy's... <laughs> so I'm going to say Tobin Bell really genuinely loves Tobin Bell. I don't know. Well, maybe that too. But he he seems to kind of believe the the press on Jigsaw. And uh, I've never, never bought that. He also no. kills the cops that are investigating him. And also throughout the movies, a lot of innocent people die <laughs> to the left and right. Um, he is not a any kind of even halfway close noble, you know, Dexter figure, whatever they're trying to go for. And for me, when he's doing his Tobin Bell monologuing and trying to be that, in all of the movies, that's when it's the least interesting. <laughs> and, and I would and say that's also true here. And he also says that, right? Like, I've never killed anybody. Yes. Yeah. So, well, no, you, you know, killed these people. You, <laughs> you, you put killed a steel trap these... on someone's head on a timer to close. Uh, you kidnap these people, put them in a house with poisonous gas. Yeah, you've, you've killed people. <laughs> if you tie someone to a chair, leave them in a house and light the house on fire, technically the fire or the smoke inhalation will kill them, but yeah. you killed that person. <laughs> like, come on. And the fact that he can't see or that the audience is expected not to make that leap is kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's one of the fatal flaws of the whole franchise, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, <laughs> In this movie specifically, I enjoyed the uh, reveal of the original Saw bathroom right. near the end when they're walking through the house. Back when this was just two films, it was yeah. kind of neat to have that callback and say, oh, look, I recognize this. The guy's foot's still laying there. The bodies are all decomposed now. And uh, so I, th I thought that was kind of neat and unique at that point. But uh, And they play with time a little bit here, and they're going to go double down on double and triple down on this as the series moves forward but and that's when you get the twist right yeah i i like the idea that they believed that this was a live feed but that everything that they watched has already taken place his son is in the room with them the whole time <laughs> he's okay in um, a safe in location. a safe location yeah. um but again, everything goes about as perfectly as they possibly could for Jigsaw. And I think Tobin Bell really gets off on that. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's always a little bit convenient how everything always goes exactly yeah. how he planned it would. You know, and he's going to drive him to this house right at this moment. And then, uh, I mean, it works, I guess. But uh, the end twist with uh, Amanda, that Shawnee Smith. Right. She's, um, she's in on it. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of a big twist at the end. He's like, oh, wow. But... I find upon repeat viewings, I don't know if that twist really holds up. If it makes sense. She seems genuinely afraid, and she's going through this with everybody. And she went into that pit of fucking needles. Like, that's commitment to a bit, man. Like, I wonder how much involved she was with it. Yeah. Was she... I, I don't know. Just there to make sure everything kind of follows the rules, or... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's times where I'm watching it, and, and it doesn't really... You know, when I when there's a movie with a twist, you want to be able to rewatch it and then see clues to that twist. Exactly. The second time, okay, this does make sense now. How did you fool me? And if I didn't, you know, if I watch it again and say, oh, you didn't, you just kind of lied. Then that, I kind of resent that, you know. But you know, a good twist is a good twist. I talk a lot of shit about Shyamalan, but The Sixth Sense is a really strong twist. You know, uh, I, when I watched it the second time, I felt stupid. <laughs> that meant that the movie was smart. <laughs> okay, so. um, yeah, I don't know what more to say about Saw 2. Um, like I say, I'll give it the low praise of being my favorite Saw movie, but I've never considered myself a big Saw dude. Right. 
I think you know what this is. I think it's probably lower on the scale of what like a hardcore torture porn fan is into because the deaths aren't as drawn out for the most part. Um, it, it's just more the idea. I guess that that burning is pretty bad. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of it's more the idea than sort of bathing in the actual violence in this movie. Um, and it's quick. There's lots of characters. There's lots of blood. Uh, and it moves. So it held my attention. I did not regret my time with Saw 2. Fair enough. I, I did not think we'd have eight of these. Right. But, uh, and I don't think we need Saw eight of them. I think they but... hit the high point. <laughs> yeah. On va rapporter le plus beau des sapins et c'est toi qui vas le décorer. On est tous réunis pour Noël. Je vous aime, vous êtes ma famille. Quand tu entends ma chaîne, on est la famille. De rien oh I'm in the mood for love. On va reprendre notre vie comme avant. Hein. There's just nothing worse than being a starving artist, is there? <laughs> I guess not, hey? Uh, the main character of Calvier, or the ordeal, is uh, trying to make his living as an artist and uh, singer, actor, anything he can, and he lives out of his vehicle, which promptly dies in the middle of nowhere, and he goes to a quaint-looking village for help. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. <laughs> the end. It's it's this is a kind of one of these slow moving train wrecks where you can see that shit's gonna go south and you're kinda helpless <laughs> to, to witness and watch it go south. But I think the uh director, in order to sort of help the bitterness of the torture porny stuff that we're gonna see go down, uh, has sort of put a layer of absurdity and art cinema on top of this. There is a main villain, this guy that we see the cracks of his sanity and we see him going like clearly being bad news and we sort of focus our energy on that. But what I think is interesting about Calvi is how this whole village is fucking crazy. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It's, it's much unlike, unlike Spit on Your Grave. You're not immediately sure where this is going. Right. You know you're watching a horror movie so and his van breaks down so you say, okay, I've seen this kind of... But, the weirdness that yeah. kind of follows um you're not really sure exactly what's happening and then you're you're right he goes our main character goes for a walk and i think he sees some villagers i think fucking a pig yeah a little boy is fucking a pig and his parents are watching this with with like something like ah <laughs> yeah and they're thinking okay this is this is gonna get weird and it gets weirder than that <laughs> But I guess that's my question. I mean, does this sort of art, it, uh, art? I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. The sort of art wank a angle to the movie is it helpful to the proceedings, or does it take away from the horror? <laughs> I think that the art, the artist or the singer, uh, whatever he is, I think that helps the bond with the the innkeeper, that Bartel, or right. whatever, because he was a comedian, I guess, and he considered himself an artist, and his his wife was an artist. There's a so baseline respect between them because of yeah. that. So I think that, that character line, that trait, uh, was probably important to have. Um, but I, I don't know if that's why it got so strange. I mean, as soon as his van breaks down, it's, it's a you know, rainy night, he's out in the woods, 
and he meets uh, I wrote the guy's name Boris yes. that Boris character he's out there looking for his dog and that Boris guy he's just so he's, he spends the whole movie looking for his dog Bella his <laughs> air quote dog yeah <laughs> and, and that guy gets weirder and weirder and we meet Bartel and he gets a little bit odd and you you're sort of interested because the village is hiding something. There's some story going on here that, that we don't know. But we, we never really do, it. though, <laughs> is the sort of thing. That's true. And uh, and not really much happens for half the movie, in, in fairness. You're waiting for it, though. I mean, yeah. I wasn't bored, necessarily. I saw in the first 43 minutes I was more interested in it because I'm just kind of like curious what's happening and what's going on here. And we know... Something's going to happen because it's a horror movie, but uh, it's Mark Stevens, the main character. He doesn't know that he's in a horror movie, obviously, so he kind of goes along. Now, can we just talk a moment about the dance scene? Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> this has to come up. That, what the fuck? Okay, you say something okay. about what to say about uh, it. Again, it's it seems it's also a cutaway scene. It's it's also weird because none of the major players witness it, <laughs> right? We yeah. witness it, but yeah, all of the denizens in this local pub just sort of get out of their seats and start doing this super fucked up dance, and these weird rictus smiles are on their faces, and they're like they're loving it, but it it, it almost seems not completely voluntary either. Yeah, like it's like. like, like zombie-like or like cultish or something. Yeah, it's... I started thinking Wicker Man or some sort of cult thing or like there was a mental institution in the woods somewhere that got emptied out and they just took over the town. At first I was just thinking that there was a handful of these people and you know, Texas Chainsaw idea, like people who lived in isolation for so long that their eccentricities got sharpened into something really ugly, <laughs> you know, and really dangerous and crazy. But that's the thing. It's the whole town... They're all crazy, and we're never told why. And that dance scene stayed with me more than, you know, this dude being gang-raped by all of the people of the town, right? I, I'll agree. I don't, know, uh, I don't know what the experience, like, the takeaway uh, from the movie is, like, what, what the director wants me to feel after this is over. I certainly will say I've never seen a movie like it. <laughs> And uh, it was, like, the ordeal does make sense. Like, like this guy is put through the fucking ringer. But I'm, in the end, I'm not sure how, I, how to sit on the movie. Uh, I think it's more interesting because of its eccentricity, but because it has offers no explanation at all, I'm also sort of left a little bit hanging, a little bit narratively frustrated with it. Because, but the main thing that happens we didn't really even get into is... Um, the innkeeper starts believing that Mark Stevens is his, his ex-wife, or I believe, right? Yeah. And and we think, okay, well, this guy's he's losing it, so maybe this guy's just our crazy. problem. For some reason, the entire town believes that this is his ex-wife Gloria come back, and that's where it gets really strange. Like, what's happening here? Why does everybody become convinced, and everybody starts? He each even other briefly over? plays the role of Gloria, right? Pardon me? The Mark acts the role at, in one of those scenes of her to, to <laughs> I don't know, sort of, it's not about, or, or unless he's really being possessed, it was just him rolling with the subterfuge, I guess. Maybe. Um, and um, yeah, he slowly allows a dude to drown in, in ice cold mud, but you're pretty indifferent. <laughs> this is 
Yeah, there's. I mean, the ending. I mean, if we can discuss that just kind of briefly. You're, you're right. It's well before that, when the shit really hits the fan. There's a dinner scene, <laughs> kind of. And I, when I was watching it, it's it's zany and all I could think about is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hard to And I thought, okay, well, this is just Chainsaw Massacre. And I, I kind of didn't like it for that reason because mm-hmm. of the, well, don't just copy that. Um, I watched some behind the scenes stuff afterwards and I realized he's a huge fan of that movie and he wanted to do a, a tribute to it. So it's like, well, I guess that's sort of different than it's a tribute rather than a ripoff. So I, I can see that there. He at least acknowledged it. Right. Uh, but what happens after that, there's a big shootout, which kind of is hard to follow with the darkness and the camera angles. Um, our main character gets raped and, and beaten and, and tortured. And uh, there's this screaming of a pig through it all. And I found the sound of a screaming pig it's is awful. just, it's horrendous to listen to in the background. And it's just, I don't know. But what follows is kind of a weak ending, I felt. He just sort of gets away. And this gang of men follow him through the woods in like the least exciting, slowest chase I've ever seen. <laughs> Nobody's running. He's just, they see each other. They're not that far apart, but they keep walking after him. Eventually there's only one person walking after him and, and he falls in the quicksand. You know, and uh, the weird part at, at the end, he's saying, Gloria, did you love me? Did you love me? And, and Mark kneels down and he says, I think he whispers, I loved you. And then he dies and, and it's over. And it, and right when it was over, I thought, I didn't like this movie. But it doesn't leave your brain, though, is the thing. That's that's exactly what happened. Is I thought, right after it was over, I thought, this is actually going to, this was less enjoyable than I spit on your grave. <laughs> and I put it down there. And then the next day, all I could think about all day long was this damn movie <laughs> and that dance scene. And what did the ending mean? And why is this happening? And I kept thinking about the whole, it stuck with me. So, and I wanted, I thought, I'm going to have to watch this again. <laughs> To try and, I mean, I, I watched bits of it afterwards. I still don't understand it, but uh, but there's something happening there. It's just maybe not a fully realized film, but there's there's something there. I think like because the basic story, car trouble, you knock on the wrong door for help, has been so much more than done. They even add the rain, right? Like uh, it's been so done. I think it was like, how do we make this fresh? And I think what they did was they might have thrown in a percentage of David Lynch, uh, you know, a percentage of sort of art house weirdness. Um, And uh, that was almost enough to make what would be otherwise kind of derivative, kind of interesting. But I do think it's sort of a lacquer. It's a coat of paint that they put on it. I don't think it's a movie that, that can be or even asks to be decoded. It's an ordeal. You just experience this shit that goes down just like our main character Mark does. <laughs> it's our ordeal as much as it is his. Um, but it is interesting when it breaks away. Like, again, usually we're stuck with Mark's perspective, but we see that the rest of the town is crazy before he does, Right. Although, yeah. for me, you're right. That scene with the kid and the pig would have been enough for me to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to yeah, go sleep in my broken van. <laughs> and you're right how drawn out it is. Like, the guy keeps on saying he's going to fix his van and that they're going to have him out of there, they're going to have it out, and then clearly that's not happening at all. No, he doesn't want him to leave. Yeah, he wants and him to... After he sings him the song, <sighs> I think, that he really says, I'm keeping you. Yeah. You're Gloria. Yeah. And, I mean, which would be fine if it's just a guy with a mental illness or, or whatever reason. But it's so strange why the whole town, he goes to the bar, Bartell, 
and he says, everybody, my wife is back. Stay away from her. <laughs> and, and, they accept it. They accept and, yeah, it. And he leaves. This guy hammers on the piano, and they all start doing that crazy dance. And the next day at work, I'm talking to people about this film. And say, oh, that dance scene. Everybody was like, wow, wow, that was so creepy. <laughs> so it stuck with me. But again, that's the stuff that sticks with you more than the violence, more than the violation, more than the slow sort of peeling back of the psyche. It's the strangeness. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't know if I really enjoyed it. But, <laughs> but it was uh, hard to shake. It was one, it, it, it made me, I don't know what it made me do. <laughs> I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Well, not to drop to spoilers too much, I do think it is of the two French extreme horror movies that we watched, the one that I actually ended up preferring. So, surprise, surprise. I really like, uh, well, we'll talk about we'll talk about the other movie when we talk about the other movie, but is there anything else you want to say about Calvier? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that it's weird and interesting enough that if you're curious, I would say yes, take a look at it. It's not for everyone. No, this was my first time watching it, actually. It was on the shelf for a while, and I thought, okay, i got to get around to this, and podcast was kind of an excuse to. Boom. And there you go. Es kommt auf die Jahreszeit an. Et la valeur de dollar. Roshiyajin So, Mr. Eli Roth, um, have you seen the TV show he did on AMC, Eli Roth's History, History of Horror? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the documentary series, but um, I, I'm, I'm never sure if I can believe the hype on Eli Roth or not. Like, I want to believe the hype on Eli Roth, but it, it doesn't always pay out for me. Everybody seems to like cabin fever more than I do, <laughs> right? Um, I enjoy cabin fever, for the record, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I liked the first Hostel, but I did not love the first Hostel. This is actually the second sequel in a row that we were, well, not in a row, the, this episode that we're talking about, but it's the second sequel that I would argue is considerably better than the first installment of the franchise. You think so? I do. I do. Um the focus is no longer obnoxious American men. <laughs> so they're, they're slightly more like a bunch of American women. Uh, and at first you'd think, oh good, so now we're going to see all this torture put on the women. We've been here before. But what, yeah, but what Hostel 2 does, which I appreciate, is actually attack the psychology of the torturers themselves. For me, the B story about these two American businessmen who have come to participate in these torture things is kind of the most interesting part of the movie. The rest of the stuff, we kind of know what we're going to get and we kind of know what to expect. 
but I appreciate that we get into the psychology of the villains more than we did in the first movie. There was this sort of vibe of cultural vengeance that they were tapping into for Hostel 1. For this one, it's the psychology of somebody who would pay good money to torture and kill someone. And right. since so few of these torture movies even begin to pretend to attack the psychology seriously, I respected that. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas the first one, I think, was more about uh, the idea of paying to torture and or kill. Um, and it was done, or sorry, the, the tip to that was torturing an American yes. was more expensive, right? The opportunity to torture Americans. So that was kind of the, in the first one. This one, there the Americans are doing the torture. So, mm -hmm. And they, they really kind of explored how that changes you or, or the idea and these two men, one of which the guy seems really into it, and the other one seems to be dragged along, and how psychologically they kind of switch places over the course of the movie. Mm -hmm. Again, I found that a lot more interesting. Uh, also, it's a very learned slasher, horror, torture porn movie. There's an entire kill sequence that is based off of uh, Elizabeth Bathory, the Blood Countess. There's a right. real historical figure who believed that she could extend her life or continue to look young uh, by bathing in virgin blood and turn to murder to make that happen. Uh, we see that all sort of played out. And again, uh, the character is so sympathetic on the verge of pathetic that, that seeing her die such an awful death does get, at least for me, a visceral reaction. It's just... Nobody gave this character any pity at any point, and that's her whole story. That's yeah, that, that was, yeah, such a bloody scene. So it's much blood. brutal. Um, the sound design in that scene also stood out. Yeah. She's dragging that blade across her, her back and her, her butt cheeks, and you just hear that. <sighs> um, but I find the character, the girl that died in that scene, a lot of them, they're not really, they're kind of, cardboard cuddle characters and she was the the virginal nerd kind of character i guess you call her keeping um, her little personal pretentious diary of her european adventures yeah. and uh, uh what was i gonna what else can we say here Need one the, moment the actress is heather mozzarella i want to say i hope i'm not totally um she was in this infamous indie movie, Todd Solon's movie called Welcome to the Doll's House. Okay. Uh, and uh, if you're familiar with that movie, her character is so funny slash awful that there might be a little bit of schadenfreude when you watch this movie seeing that happening to her. But that's not how the character's played. Like I said, she's, she's sympathetic but almost riding the line of pathetic as well. But I still felt bad for her because the second I saw her, I knew she wasn't going to make the end credits of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, I mean, talk about the subject of these six movies. This is the one movie of the six where it's literally about torturing people. So, I mean, that is what the movie is about, but not, they admit it. The whole point of the movie is we're paying to torture somebody. Um, so technically, I guess it would be literally torture porn for these guys that are paying for this experience that's right and uh there's not a lot of actual torture in the movie until you get to about the final 20 minutes or so the first um, hostel was, spare, but, yeah, 
No. The first hostel was sparing in that, too. They have the reputation of being really hard. They earn it with a couple of really hard scenes, but it's oh. not wall-to-wall torture. No, but once it happens, it, it happens. <laughs> um, like, there's a, there's a castration scene in I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. They, <laughs> this one outdoes that. It blows that out of the water by being a little bit uh, way too graphic. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's there's definite torture scenes in here, but I think the way it's done with Eli Roth is he kind of uh, all his films. There's horrific things that you see, but there's also now and then a sense of fun. Right. For some, he puts in a little bit of humor, or when you see somebody get killed in these movies, your reaction is, oh, oh no, oh no, that's gross. Oh, look at that. You know, you don't feel that. Uh, that fear that uh, oh no oh, I'm horrified it's right. kind of because it's so over the top when it hits uh, when that girl gets the saw kind of caught in her hair and it rips off half her face and half scalps like, oh her. man look at that <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Uh, and again it's this the slow leading up to it as he spins the saw as it's getting closer to her and then uh, catches in her hair and he's as horrified as anybody else <laughs> this is what just happened and yeah, he, that's when he loses his appetite for the yeah, torture, right? Right he away. The fear this is from her, but when he saw the result of the the blade, yeah, he's, he's out. This is not me. This is not what I want. And this idea that he had that somehow by killing a person, other people would sense that there was power in him, you know, is really fucked. <laughs> yeah, uh, people are going to look at you differently after you've killed somebody. I want to talk about, too, uh, I was going to open with this, but I forgot. The, this movie does the thing that a lot of franchise horror movies does uh, by killing off the main character of the previous movie yeah. in the opening sequence of it. That's right. Um, and it's one of those things, the second I saw Paxton in the movie, I was like, oh, he's dead, <laughs> right? Like, uh, But I don't know why there's something profoundly disturbing to me about that cat <laughs> licking on his, his <laughs> like severed, severed, well, the neck hole. They took his head, apparently. But uh, that's, that's his what cats do. girlfriend discovers him headless, and the cat's just licking away at the neck hole. And there was something just awful. <laughs> yeah, those kind of openings. I mean, it's kind of unnecessary. You just—it's the connection between the two movies. I guess we got to have the survivor and then kill him. And they actually kill him twice. The first <laughs> one's a dream sequence. Right. And then he wakes up, and then they get to kill him again. Maybe it's just an excuse to have two more murders in the movie. It's um, true. You could argue that it has no narrative business in this movie at all, but I yeah. mean, it's just one of those things that horror movie franchises do that I thought I would acknowledge. <laughs> and then after 10 minutes, we can start our movie. Exactly. So now we're going to meet the people in this movie and start the story. Um, that's and, funny. I, I was going to mention the opening too. Uh, the other thing that stood out for me, the, the group of kids, I think they're called the Bubblegum Gang right. in the first one. I, I um, they're back again. <laughs> yeah, but not as I, re, I recall the, I, I think their inclusion in the first one was kind of fun a bit and sort of surprising but they were I really did not like that group of kids in this there's movie. nothing they're, lovable about them anymore no there it was kind of dumb and unnecessary they're um, being raised to be these human traffickers it looks like and at one point a gun is kind of put to all of their heads one by one and it's supposed to be shocking I guess or just but it's sort of I don't know. There's no real reason to it, and I don't think we care. It's a and, random narrative thread in the film. Like, why are we spending time with these people right now? Which leads to the ending. Mm-hmm. I mean, the after game? the ending, when uh, <laughs> uh, our lead girl kind of buys her way out of 
of her situation. And the film ends with these kids playing soccer with a girl's head and scoring a goal in full soccer cheer, lifting their shirt up. And uh, Eli Roth, I saw somewhere, he loved that ending all along. He knew that's how we're going to end the movie. And I think that's the worst part of this movie. It's like, what the yeah, it's tonally way off. It's tonally way off. I think he just loved working with those kids was the problem. Uh, the sequence that I like is the the turning point when they go to the secluded spa and they like they go in there, they're in this nice salty warm water and it's like this nice relaxing thing. But the girl that has brought them there knows that the second they leave or attempt to leave the spa, their nightmare is truly going to begin. So there's something about the way she's enjoying how much they're enjoying themselves that, that kind of came across to me. The Slovakian spa, which is so clearly the Blue Lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and again, I liked our characters. I was not expecting them to live through the movie, frankly. Like, I did not know how she was going to get herself out of this scenario. And not only did she get herself out of the scenario, she got to castrate her, her, her torture. Yeah. I thought it was kind of convenient the way she got out kind of a quick easy way out I was, I was sort of disappointed in that uh, and again it doesn't definitely jibe with this weird culty organization that they have like you wouldn't think they would allow anybody out of there like under any circumstances no matter how much money was put on the table this is something that would not be easy to maintain <laughs> But I think that like a good sequel did, it kind of grew and expanded on the ideas that were sort of established in the first Hostel movie. Um, the characters were, were female this time around, and generally speaking, I think more likable than the characters we got in the first movie. Yeah. Um, I'll agree with you that the kids' soccer game thing was kind of a weird and distasteful way to end the movie, but it, it was that kind of ugly, crazy movie that... <laughs> It didn't seem inappropriate to the world, but it seemed uh, irrelevant to the story that we yeah. were being told. It totally just didn't fit. Didn't didn't need to be there. Probably shouldn't have been there. But again, I, I liked Hostel 2 more than I expected to. Um, so. There's one more character in there. Uh, they meet this guy. I can't remember his name. Miroslav, I think. Okay. Something like that. Uh, and all along, he's trying to hit on one of the girls. And you sort of get the feeling that he's in on the whole Hostel situation. Or you know, that he's helping get yeah. these women. Right. Um, until we see him being tortured at the end and, uh, and actually was, eaten. Yeah, he was just, just a guy who was trying to make friends with the pretty ladies. <laughs> yeah, and if I, oh, shit, he's uh, getting to be even worse than, than anybody. So um, they kind of lead you to think one way and, and turn it the other way. There's stuff in here. Um, one thing I was kind of surprised by, Eli Roth specifically, um, our character is torturing the main girl. He can't really bring himself to do it, so he goes to finish off her friend. Right. And kind of get that bravado and the blood on him that makes him feel like a man, I guess. I'm so surprised they did not show him actually what he does to that girl. He shows him go into the room and they cut away. Yeah. It's very unlike Eli Roth to cut away, I find. Well, the, the shock and the hurt is that we've lost that character. I mean, we knew we were going to lose that character, but in a way, how he does it is immaterial. The horror is that he tells her, I'm going to go kill your friend now, and then he goes yeah. and kills her friend. Yeah, true. But no, you're right. Uh, it's a rare, rare sort of... 
Restraint. Restraint. <laughs> a rare, a rare feat of restraint from Eli Roth. So we'll give him that. And uh, that's not indicative of the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, no, so. He doesn't shy away from showing you what's happening. <laughs> um, I was surprised pleasantly surprised by Hostel 2 I'll say it again uh, I think I liked it overall more than the first and um, if you're into this type of movie go ahead sure <laughs> what the bloody hell are you mob doing out here <laughs> scared the shit out of me <laughs> so um where did you live <laughs> oh I get around you never know where I might pop up <laughs> what do you actually do I can tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So uh, a rare thing happened when I was reviewing, uh, well, when I rewatched Wolf Creek. I've okay. kind of turned around on it. I have to say the first time I saw Wolf Creek was not much of a fan, to be honest. It, it could have been like just the wrong day, the wrong movie on the wrong day. But for me, it was just so uniformly <laughs> unpleasant and that the the humor that a lot of people seem to be getting out of it i didn't the joy that they took out of this john gerat actor who was playing mick taylor i could not get behind um tarantino's a big fan of this guy he actually put him in django unchained uh for okay. a couple of scenes i was so overwhelmed by the ugliness of the movie that i think i overlooked the craft in the movie because in the end of the day, watching it again, I have to concede, it's a really scary movie. It's upsetting and disturbing, and it's doing everything that it wants to do well. Now, just because torture porn isn't my favorite genre doesn't mean I should dismiss a good entry of it when I see it. And I think maybe the first time around, I was just so off-put by it that I dismissed it. But watching it again and having seen some of the other movies that McLean has made... I'm much more on board with Wolf Creek than I had been originally. <laughs> that said, it is not a walk in the park. It is not a movie for everyone. It's not one that you're going to watch with your mom. <laughs> Maybe not. But this tale of backpackers who uh, encounter the wrong man in the uh, uh, obscure outback in Australia and the ordeal that they are subjected to uh, is it's harrowing and uh, very well acted and executed. Uh, how much joy you get out of it, I think, is going to be a matter of individual taste. But upon revisiting it again, no, there's real craft to this. It's not for everyone, but for the people who like this type of movie, it's a pretty good one. I agree. Um, you talk about the ugliness of it. And, I mean, it's worth pointing out that on the timer on the, on the movie, I think it's 53 minutes past before we really get ugly right. before we see that Mick is actually doing bad things. And that's actually a long time to wait in a horror movie for someone to be in danger, but I don't think it drags. Nope. Uh, I think what it does, it genuinely makes us like these people. 
so maybe it hurts more. differently from uh, you know the random collection of people in the Saw movie or the stereotype characters in Hostel. I think that these are people that you really start to know and you start to actually really like this nice group of kids. Um, the guy, there's two girls and a guy yeah. traveling through through the uh, outback, I guess. Um, the guy's a party guy, but he, at, at heart he comes across as a nice guy. I like that he's got a bit of a, a crush on the nice shy girl and she kind of likes him too. There's sort of a cuteness there. Yeah. Uh, they share a nice moment together when they're you know, sightseeing on the crater. And uh, they're not the stereotype college meathead sex crazed characters you usually see in these films. So you actually don't want anything bad to happen to them. You want them to get away from, from a bad situation. At least that's how I felt. We're hostile. You can't wait to see, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to her. Oh, right. she's going to get it good and, and right. that kind of thing. But this one, I felt fear for them. And I thought, I want you to get away. And I think that's what really is the strong point of this film. And the horrible slow, at least for me the first time I watched it, realization that, that they weren't going to get away. <laughs> um, well, I guess that's not fair. The, the, the dude walks through a desert <laughs> and has his own sort of survival ordeal. But the two women who get left in the grips of, of Mick and like uh, how one of them gets out, but she goes back to try and save the other one and she's doing everything right and it's going to cost her everything. And the malicious, brutal fucking joy that Mick is taking in all of this. And the way the movie keeps on making you think that maybe they're going to get away, but they're not going to get away. You know, when watching the movie again, when Mick gets shot in the throat and she leaves the room without taking the rifle, I'm like, God damn it, what are you doing? But when you react that way watching a movie, uh, it's got you in its grip. She was supposed to save her friend and get her out of there. Yeah. Um, interesting that the girl who essentially comes across as our main character is the first one to, I guess, die. Right. Or not, I guess, die. I guess he, he turns her into a... a head you know, on a stick, as he calls it. Head on it. a stick, yeah. So he kind of just uh, paralyzes her. And... and again, as he's doing this to her, as he's rendering her paralyzed... He's laughing at her and telling her that she's a fucking head on a stick. And that was the stuff that I really did not like when I first watched it. Because, like, I could just picture people cackling at that in the theater. It was like, I remember seeing uh, Kill Bill in the theater. And there's that whole scene where the dude is describing how to rape a coma victim. And people were cackling in the theater. And I was like, fuck this movie but uh it it wasn't the movie it was the people cackling in the audience that gave Mm -hmm. me that response i think Um, with that i think it's partly the tarantino delivery yeah but i think that the character mick thinks this is great but that the movie doesn't that the movie we want to find this horrifying we are cheering for this girl and best case scenario even if she somehow managed to survive at this point she is permafucked by this guy the girl's (laughs) The girls scream in terror, and it, it appears genuine. Yeah. And, and you feel it there. And um, she had been doing because... so much right. She'd been doing so much right for so long that, ugh, it sucks. But you react emotionally, which tells me I'm in the hands of a good filmmaker. And uh, so when they meet Mick, <laughs> he seems like a fairly nice, easygoing guy. And they he's going to fix their car for him. He takes him back to his, his place and... 
he's sort of, I guess he's a little bit off-putting at times or something, a little curious, but uh, overall he's joking. They're having a good time. They're having a, a drink around the fire with him, and then they go to sleep, and they wake up, and something has happened during the time they've all been asleep. Yeah. Right? We don't really know. A real One of them shift. wakes up, she's tied tied up. The other one's screaming. She's already bloodied. Something's already happened to her. She Most of her torture has already occurred off screen. Yeah. And we don't really see what's happened. Um, he kind of points to uh, another body that he's got tied up against the wall that's obviously been there for some oh, time. Wow. It's the smile. In a way, he lives up to every cheesy Australian stereotype that like an outsider might have. He sort of fits that crocodile dundee with the hat and that like always got a half smile on his face but the smile never quite reaching his eyes um starts off laughing in a sort of jovial aren't we all buddies kind of way but then the laugh slowly turns into i'm laughing at you because you have no idea the fucking rat's nest that you just put yourself in and there's moments of that that awkwardness around the fire yeah when he would just stop talking and stare at the guy and they yep. just stare and it's awkward and someone's got to break the silence so they have a little burping contest <laughs> But it up. it's going to get ugly. He brought them there so that it can get ugly. And he knows it, and he slowly lets them know it. Well, when that girl wakes up and goes to save her friend, they don't know what's happened. They don't know where the guy is. He's probably dead, all they know. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, they just, it's, oh shit, bad things are happening right now, and we have to get out of here, wherever here is. And that's one thing they did great, actually, with the, the camera work in this film. There's some great shots that add to the isolation. You don't see anybody around, no. and and they're driving and driving, and uh, you can't you walk out like, of there. You can't scream walk. as loud as you want. There's no one's gonna hear you. Nope. And it's sort of inspired by a real series of like backpackers gone missing in Australia. They don't know exactly what happened to these people, but something like this is not too far off of the reins. You know, again, in the middle of nowhere, if you go to the wrong place for help, you're fucked. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to point out that I really actually like about this film is is the movie it is before it becomes Wolf Creek. Um, it, because it takes a while because, to become the movie Wolf Creek that you remember it as, it's sort of like the characters are in a creepy, eerie-feeling movie, and then they accidentally drove into another movie. Right. Um, we meet them, and... Uh, where's my note on that? Because... There's some uh, sort of unrelated stories that they tell about UFOs right. and that kind of thing. Because you're going to the Wolf Creek crater, crater, which is this huge crater. Um, Known and, uh, for it, weird supernatural Right. Stuff. And there's some weird stuff that happens around that crater because their, their watches all stop at the exact same time. The car battery dies and they get freaked out. They have to sleep overnight in the car. Yeah. And that's kind of a creepy scene to me because... You, I, I forgot what this movie was about at that point. The first time I watched it, I forgot, oh, eventually there's the Australian guy going to come. But I thought, yeah, something kind of weird is happening here. So this movie, there's almost like another story that could be told. Yeah. Um, they like to like sort of lead you one way and then sort of suddenly shift you into a different direction. And McLean doesn't mind taking his time. Did you ever see Rogue? Gator, big croco saltwater crocodile movie. I haven't seen Rogue. No. Um, same sort of thing. Even John Gerard's in that, and he plays like a likable character in that version. But it's a good forty minutes before the shit properly hits the fan. But by the time that it does, you know everybody, so it kind of matters more. 
and that template is definitely true in Wolf Creek as well. Yeah, to make it to make it matter, to make it matter, it's it's a big thing. Um, but yeah, I kind of liked where it was going even before it started changing directions. Even when they meet Mick, he's driving up in the distance. They're terrified because they think it's a UFO or it's an alien, yeah. right? And, and They're they terrified for oh, the wrong reason. Thank God you're not an alien. <laughs> we thought you're an alien. <laughs> um, I haven't seen the sequel or, or the uh, the TV series they they've got based on, so I don't know if they address the the crater more in that at all. But uh, um, I, I I found that kind of interesting, anyways. But well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I might have a look at the sequel now because, like I said, I've sort of revised my position on Wolf Creek. I still think it's a pretty unpleasant movie, but I think it's doing everything that it wants to do very well. There's nothing accidental about how it's fucking with you in this movie. So, you know, I think if I see a cheap copy of Wolf Creek 2, I, I will eventually, hopefully, you know, find time for it. But it's nice. It's one of the things that I like about the podcast is like... Um, I sort of made up my mind about Wolf Creek, and then I watched it again, and I changed it. So, I guess yeah, you're comparing it to other films. Again, the wrong movie on the wrong day. If you watch the wrong movie on the wrong day, I firmly believe it can sour the experience for you. So, this might not brighten your day, but if uh, in this type of, as far as this type of movie goes, I think this is a pretty solid one. This kind of movie our hero girl, whatever she starts walking around and she starts finding artifacts from other people. He's done this to, uh, looks at video cameras and, and that kind of thing. And she sees video footage of another couple that he's picked up the identical way by driving up to that crater where their car had for some reason died. So right. this seems to be his routine. He goes out there because something happens to people's car batteries there for whatever reason, or if he's maybe he's messing with them. If he's but, messing with them, they never show that. But that's an interesting angle. I didn't really consider it, but you're right. It was exactly the same thing. And it's also just a good way of doing it. You know, in a worse movie, there would have been, I don't know, somebody chained to the wall who would tell them this whole story, or there would be some other piece yeah. of exposition about a, other backpackers that had gone missing. But no, we see all of that once we're in the lair. She's, there, there was no way she could have avoided this fate because uh, she didn't know about this dude until she met him. <laughs> And if I was just going to point out one flaw, it's because we've, we've said mostly nice things about That's this true. movie uh, for the type of film. There is one area, I mean, after an hour and a half, we see the last of our killer, Mick Taylor. But the movie continues on for another five, six minutes as the, the show is finding the character of uh, Ben. He wakes up, he's come to, he's been alive this whole time, but kind of crucified, yeah. uh, nailed to, uh, to Waller, I believe. He frees himself and walks away, kind of goes mad a bit in the desert, as you said, uh, and it, there's some strange shots of the sun in the sequence. There's, there's like a sunset, the sunrise, it shows an eclipse, and he's just kind of going mad. And then finally he gets rescued. Now, they end it with kind of uh, text on the screen explaining what happens now, that it's based on a true story. Um, but the problem with that is it's told by the only survivor and who would have had witness. no idea of what happened to these two girls because he was you know, nailed to a wall this whole time. So it, if it's going to end with saying this is a true story wrap-up, told from the point of view from the one guy that saw none of it, yeah, it, it sort of doesn't make any sense that way. But 
We don't okay. know what happened. They would have to extrapolate what happened. Yeah. It's sort of like that open water movie with the couple in the ocean. We don't yeah, know exactly. what happened to them, but something fucking awful happened to them, right? We're first going to be based on a true story. What they're going to do is fall asleep around the fire and then wake up and where is everybody at the end? Yeah. And that would make a shitty movie. So yeah, you got to make some stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, check out Wolf Creek if you haven't. talk about the extreme french horror movies high tension was one of the high watermarks of that i kind of felt like the twist kind of hurt that movie a lot but um there's definitely been some tough french thrillers that came out martyrs comes to mind inside don't fuck around dude. they fucking they get their hands dirty Inside is one of the more harrowing movies I've ever subjected myself to. Like, and I don't. I like to think I have a pretty thick skin. <laughs> um, so, Xavier Gens, X A V I E R G E N S, is the name of this director. He made a movie in Winnipeg called The Divide, about a bunch of people surviving a nuclear holocaust in the basement of a building. Okay. I've seen that movie. That's that, one of the most grim movies I think I've ever seen. I was going to say, I, you would think that Frontiers was pretty grim until you watched The Fucking Divide, which is just like the ugliest shit ever. Um, but he does have something tactile about his filmmaking that when shit goes bad in his movies, you feel it. Emotionally, you feel it viscerally. Um, Frontiers is about these people who are fleeing some sort of political uprising that's happened in paris there's riots going on but you get the feeling that these people themselves are not clean they have a bag of money that they maybe didn't come by up to honestly and our main protagonist also has this extra layer of stress because she's uh, got a bun in the oven and once again as they're fleeing this chaos they knock on the wrong door for help and it's interesting how these villains keep escalating. At first, they seem kind of crazy. Then they're a little bit Nazi. Then they're a lot cannibal. <laughs> so uh, the problems just keep on getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I do feel it in the visceral moments of violence and, and, and like like torment that takes place. Like I do get involved with it, but... I never felt as sucked into the movie as I did with The Divide. I never felt as sympathetic to any of the characters as I did with The Divide. I watched it, it held my attention, but it didn't stay in my memory the way a lot of these French hard thrillers have in the past. Say what you will about the ordeal, it stuck with me. Frontiers didn't as much. So uh, I can tell that it's made by a good filmmaker, but I think that... um, it was more of uh, ushering in or suggesting things to come than being of itself a classic horror movie. It's good, but I maybe think it might fall short of being good enough for me. But I'm willing to hear a second opinion. Well, I think this is where we're going to really... Disagree? On, yeah, we're going to be on opposite sides here because uh, this was the first time I, I watched this film and I had been looking forward to seeing this one because it had a bit of a, a reputation. Oh, it's got a reputation. Not unearned. Um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to see that and uh, I was kind of looking forward to it and uh, it it delivered for me. <laughs> I found I, I didn't take any notes 
really when I watched it. Uh, it was a first time view, and there's a lot happening, as you said. It kind of it's all over the place. Plus the subtitles, so you kind of you got to read. Uh, so I had to give it my full attention, and uh, you know sometimes in those things I'll stop the movie, jot something down. But this, I just kept going with it, and just it was yeah. over, and I thought, fuck, I didn't write anything down, so I had to <laughs> rewatch some points. Um, I, I found it. Uh, well, I mean, we can start. You started with talking about the political riots and their group of bank robbers or, or whatever they are that fleeing the city. Uh, the first kind of twenty minutes or so deals with this part of it, and I it, when it was all said and done, I wonder if that really was necessary. Right. Because that maybe there was some sort of symbolism I was missing or something, but it felt like it didn't really contribute to the story at all. That they had to be this kind of character. I think something needed to corral them into this place. Uh, I but guess. it could have just as easily been a, a group of friends on a road trip. Right. Uh, yeah, really. And then they stop at the wrong hotel and, and stuff happens. But uh, I don't know. I was, I was curious if I was missing something, but uh, I guess not. I don't think you were. I think what they were trying to do is keep the movie having momentum. And it's pretty good at like moving at it. Like the shit doesn't hit the fan necessarily right away, but there's always stuff going on. It's always moving forward. You don't really feel knee deep in mud, or like that the narrative is slow at any point, or at least I didn't. Yeah. Which I appreciate because a lot of, especially in these movies, there's like a lot of setup. Typically, they're a little uh, top heavy with their, you know, meat and potatoes and violence, right? And as the Chainsaw Massacre fan I am, I think this kind of became my kind of movie. <laughs> right. Uh, and you're right, it gets, it's sort of weird at first, and as more characters get introduced, it gets a bit stranger. This family is fucked. <laughs> yeah, they start with two girls, they sort of seduce the boys and have a little fun with them. Then they meet their brother, her, uh, who they, I assume they think he's a cop at first. <laughs> uh, and then there's a grisly fight, a car chase, uh, they crash the car into some sort of a pit. And what follows from there is a claustrophobic scene of... The two guys crawling through a, a tight tunnel. Ugh. And those, sort of Descent style, uh, there's a scene in the Blair Witch remake, similar like that. Yep. I find always those scenes where you're crawling through tight confines, I feel as a viewer I kind of hold my breath a bit because I'm not a fan of those tight tight spaces. Claustrophobia, man. Yeah, it's another one of those things. And uh, down in that pit you sort of see some creatures, humanoid kind of creatures crawling around. You don't know what those are at that point, but... There's some weird shit going on everywhere. Uh, it turns in those are like inbred offspring or, or something. but It definitely asks more questions than it answers, although I didn't walk away from the movie feeling nagged by that. I think that part well, of the idea was that this whole world was fucked, right? <laughs> and then we meet the rest of the family, which is there's that big guy with the heavy apron, the shy pregnant girl, a couple more beefy brothers, and... Uh, we can't forget the scummy Nazi father. Yes. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> and uh, the cannibalism in that film was when when we do meet meet their uh, their one friend that was captured. He's hanging upside down with his hooks in his feet. Yeah. Um, that was quite a painful kind of scene. And and seeing the best case scenario, you mentioned the pregnant woman that was at the with the family. She sort of wrecked. Uh, represented the best case scenario like if they decide that they like you and you play ball you know you could just live with us <laughs> yep, she was taken as a child yeah uh yeah. you know you're gonna have to sire a bunch of these you know subhuman creatures and you're gonna have to eat you know human meat but you'll be alive so 
you know, aim for that. <laughs> and there was a scene in this movie that's reminiscent of a memorable scene in Misery, mm-hmm. where they uh, uh, kind they, of cripple you so you can't leave. They clip the yeah. Achilles tendon on the back yep. of your with, heel with bolt cutters. <laughs> and I think that that may have one up to Kathy Bates. <laughs> I think. Just watching that, it was just. But the strange thing about that scene is, one scene later, they just shot that guy in the head. Yeah. So the only reason, really, to, to cut the the ankle was to make the audience say "ew." And but, we uh, did. Yeah, I said "ew." <laughs> There's several times in this film where you say "ew." Uh, here's a good tip: if you're running from a bunch of Nazi cannibals, don't hide in an industrial oven. Good tip. <laughs> That was another one of yep. those kills, but by the time that guy was finally killed, you're like, "Thank you, Jesus!" His face is all melted. He's off. melting. He's looks like a melted candle, and he's still somehow alive. And he just, oh my god! <laughs> At a certain point, the the mood kind of changes. So the film, after all, her friends are dead. Mm-hmm. She's the last one left. They say, "We're going to keep you, and you're going to become the wife to my favorite son." Good and, deal. Uh, yeah, or to be the wife of the only son I'm proud of. Right. So he refers to him. And again, we get a weird dinner scene. <laughs> yep. Which is sort of becoming a theme with this kind of movie, it seems. But uh, we do get the weird dinner scene, followed by a final chase with the final girl in the tunnels, where she becomes Ash a little bit. Um, there's it's... a scene where she throws a guy on a table saw blood spraying in her face and it's it's a very evil dead ash moment but it's tonally adjacent from what became before right it, yeah. d- it does seem like it is belongs in a different movie almost sure I no, mean, I the, the violence is there i mean she takes a beating she her especially in her head she's Ugh. punched in the head kicked in the head thrown on stepped on her head and belted with a gun handle repeatedly uh and she goes Rick Grimes on that one guy and, and bites, bites his throat, throat. out. And there's, if you like the grisly violence, then you're gonna enjoy this film. But it's it's grisly, for sure. It earns its reputation that way. I do think I agree with that. Um, it, in the end, I think that maybe what, to answer your question of the earlier part of the review about why they spent so much time at the beginning was to try and top load it with a little bit more like. Uh, there's more stakes to the world outside so that when we come into this world, like um, it doesn't feel like you were saying, you know, if it was just a group of teenagers who had car trouble, we've seen this movie before, but they're, pers- they're, they're, they're chased into this corner by the chaos of the world that they're already in. But there's no payoff to that. It, it, it does. Yeah. Sort of like the uh, absurdity became an extra layer of paint on the torture in, in the ordeal. I think that this bigger world, this this political uprising, was just another layer of paint that, in the end of the day, really didn't have much function to the movie. Um, it kept the it kept the pace strong, which I appreciated. But I think at the end of the day, it is another torture movie. It is another another movie about a bunch of people who go somewhere they shouldn't, and bad shit happens. Because it's part of the French extreme, the level of blood and gore is pretty severe. And because they established that the main character is pregnant, just watching her getting beaten and beaten and 
beaten and beaten throughout the movie just it it gets hard to take you know yeah, that kid's not going to turn out that well <laughs> or, or is she going to have any brain cells to rub together to raise this kid is she just going to be a drooling in a chair <laughs> you know yeah. uh it's ugly but uh, and it's well made like i do think this director i will keep an eye on him and i really liked the divide as ugly as it was i really liked the divide uh so i certainly you know Definitely keep an eye on this guy. Uh, but in the end of the day, I think it's just another torture point movie. <laughs> like, uh, it's pretty well made, It's it, but it, it it is what it is after a point for me. Um, okay. It, 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 in a way, I, it took it's taken the place that Wolf Creek had for me. It's, it's like, that was unpleasant. That's my takeaway. <laughs> I think the difference from the unpleasantness is it doesn't feel real right. at the same time. Um, whereas... The lingering shots in I Spit on Your Grave, for example, they just feel uncomfortable. Right. Um, there's some scenes in Frontier where they're so over the top where it's like, well, this is... Almost absurd, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I can see what you're saying, too. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Frontiers? I kind of feel like I did short shift on it. It's not a bad movie. Again, it's an is-what-it-is movie. If you want to watch something fucking hard that lives up to the, you know, French extreme, yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of those. I'm, I, 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 in its own way, I think that the martyrs and the inside, even though they're so grueling, they got a little bit more going on. That's all. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Good enough? Sure. <laughs> so much for coming back for another episode of rank and review scott i appreciate you doing this um i don't appreciate watching all of these absolutely ugly movies in a short period of time it did put a bit of a fog over me for a little while yep. <laughs> to watch i watched them. these six movies in six days so it was a <laughs> it was an ugly week i had to like watch some simpsons to like as an antidote you know and throw some rick and morty on or something that i can like laugh and pretend that the world is not this terrible terrible place yeah, I think after I was finished the the sixth one, I watched uh, Endgame after, just for something cheerful. That was actually light and better, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think we're probably going to agree on the bottom, but uh, that's about the only thing that I feel confident on. Uh, what was your least favorite of these six torture porn movies and why? Okay, well, number six, I Spit on Your Grave just <laughs> belongs at number six. 
I feel like I would be a bad person if you put it any higher, almost. It's it's basically it's a gritty grindhouse exploitation horror film, and it's of its time period. I think it's maybe got the reputation it has because of when it was made. If it was made now, it would be just dismissed as, as trash, I think. I hope. Uh, we, we didn't really talk about the performances in the movie, which are not strong. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. If, the, if you're a horror fan, you know of the film, and uh, if you want to check it out for yourself, feel free, but you, you kind of know the movie. I do think it's skippable. I understand why people remember the movie. I understand why it's sort of stuck in the craw of the culture, but I don't think it's an essential horror movie. I just don't. No. At uh, fifth place, I'm going to put... I'm, I'm putting Calvaire, The Ordeal. Like I said, when it was over, I honestly didn't think I liked it. Uh, mostly due to the ending, the final 15 minutes, I took the disc out and I thought, I'm not going to watch this again. And I thought, I wonder how much I could sell it for. And The next day, it's all I could think about. And I thought, you know, this was maybe not as bad. Uh, that dancing alone <laughs> brings it up to, to at least number five. I'd almost be interested in possibly a remake of this film. Oh, really? Just because there are some interesting ideas, if maybe they could just expand on it a bit with the villagers and uh, maybe clean it up. Because it's, it's some scenes are pretty dark and hard to really see. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be interested in that, maybe. But uh, as that stands here, I can't put it any higher than fifth. Okay. I'm going to put Hostel 2 at number four. It hits, it hits all the Eli Roth buttons. Yep. There's uh, some pretty cool... Uh, there's some pretty... If you like seeing bad things happen to people, they have that happening. Uh, it, and it's fairly light, considering the subject matter. So... Um, so there it is. So I, mean, we, I think that I think the dumb as hell ending final few minutes limits me from putting it any higher than than fourth though. It was a distasteful now, way to hit the credits, wasn't it? What's that? It was kind of a distasteful way to hit the credits. <laughs> I I found yeah. Now two and three were the tough ones for me, and they flip flopped a lot. Last night I just sat here looking at the stack of movies, saying, "Is this really how I'm going to put them?" And uh, in the end, I, I changed it last minute, so I, I'm going to stick with this. Number three, I'm, I, I put Saw 2. Um, I don't know. I, I was going to put it higher at number two, and I thought, can I really put a Saw sequel that high in the list? And <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. It's, it's the best of the franchise, I think. Uh, it can stand on its own, even, as a movie. I don't think you need to see the first one, necessarily, even. That's true. It does but, hold the uh, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a scary horror film like any of the Saw movies, really, because it's kind of a random collection of people put in a room and they've got backstories. Maybe they're not all likable, even. But uh, it's it's interesting. It's it was, it was a good movie. All right. And Wolf Creek at number two. It's because it gives us those characters that you care about which none of the other movies really had the same sort of thing. So with that, I became worried about them. <laughs> I felt their terror. Uh, great camera work, the, the mystery of the crater itself. Everything kind of drew me into it an hour before it even got horrific. Uh, it's, it's not a perfect movie. Like I said, I flip-flopped between that and Saw 2. But uh, uh, I don't know. I guess it's at times I feel like maybe it's not a complete movie even. Right. 
that uh, because we miss a lot of what happens. But uh, uh, I'm going to go with this ranking, Wolf Creek at number two. And I, I know we're not going to match because hmm. I fucking I loved Frontier. Nice. I'm glad. I, I thought I'm it, glad, was, uh, it, it was my kind of uh, that type of film. Um, I, I enjoyed the, the special effects were good. Um, it's again, it's not perfect. Like I said, I was kind of curious about why we, why these characters were what they were. If we would have had the Wolf Creek characters come into this situation, would we care a little bit more about them? Perhaps. Maybe. I, I don't know. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was. Uh, it's not a cheerful film, but it's. Uh, I, I liked it. Nice. Number I'm, one for. Look, for dude, that. I'm I'm glad that you liked Frontiers in the end. I, I might have been harder on it. It was part of it is just trying to make sense of the list, I guess. And I could have a Wolf Creek reaction. You know, if I watch Frontiers in a few years again, I might see a lot more to it. I also wonder, you know, it was the last one that I watched. Or no, it was the second last one that I watched. I watched okay. Saw 2 last. Um, you know, if I was just starting to get worn out, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an awful movie. It just didn't, it didn't make as big an impression on me, obviously, as it did on you, but, uh, for sure. Check I think out. I, I saved that one for last. I was, uh, hadn't seen it before and I was really looking forward to that one. So I thought I was going to build to it and I had this fear that it was going to let me down. Then it didn't. Um, and, but, uh, no, I was right. I was right into it. Like I said, it finished and I hadn't written anything down. I was just kind of glued to the film. So always a good sign. Uh, you're right, we don't have a very similar list at all, but I, I don't think we're going to fight too much about it. I'm, I'm sorry how low Frontiers will ranks on the list, but it's just the way I felt. Uh, we're going to start an agreement, though, easily, comfortably, with no real competition. I Spit on Your Grave is in last place. I, uh, it's like, it embarrasses me a little bit that it's on my wall, to be honest. Yeah. That's, how, that's how distasteful I find the film. My wife came down to say goodnight to me the night I was watching it, yeah. and uh, so she and she's not going to watch this with me. So she came down and she looked at me and she looked at the TV and I could tell there was a little bit of judgment, yeah, <laughs> and, and a little bit of embarrassment for me. Like, yeah, I don't feel good about this. Yeah, and again, like we're pretty hard. You and I can watch some hard shit, <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. no, no, neither of us have anything good to say about I Spit on Your Grave. And uh, anybody who spends their time defending this movie, I find it mystifying. Here's where I hurt your feelings, though. All the way in fifth place, I put Frontiers, which is what you put in, in, in first. Um, I, I thought that a lot of the technical filmmaking I liked, although it is guilty, a little bit of shaky cam. Some of the chaos gets a little bit hard to follow at times, but it's all feeding into that experience, the feelings that they're trying to get to you. But beyond, you know, the setup, it got really familiar to me, like... Um, there was an instability in that crazy family, a little bit of a people under the stairs vibe to the villains, which I can appreciate. But um, I don't know. It didn't stick with me in any other way, the, the way some of the other ones did. So uh, in fourth place, I put The Ordeal, or Calvier. And I, like I said in the review, I think the crazy kind of made it stick in my head more. You're right. The movie ends and you're like, what the fuck was that? But... You can't shake it necessarily. You start thinking about those guys dancing in the bar or that weird scene with the kid and the pig. And like, what was this? What was that yeah. movie? And because uh, I couldn't let go of it, it sort of stuck in my throat a little bit. I, uh, it, it, it edged up. So there it is. Um, in third place, I am putting Hostel Part 2. 
It overperformed for me. I mean, I'm I want to be on board with Eli Roth and say that he he deserves to be the new Crown Prince of Horror, but uh, I don't know who that person is. But for some reason, I'm resistant to the idea that it's Eli Roth. That said, I say good on him for making a sequel that, to my mind, is actually better than the original. Uh, I think again, getting into the psychology of the people who are actually doing the torturing was a good move. Because we know not to get too attached <laughs> to these, you know, freewheeling American tourists. Because it's, it's not going to work out for most of them, is it? <laughs> so uh, I think it was a new enough spin on it that points. And I'm putting another sequel in second place. And it's weird for me to put Saw 2 so high on the list. And I think that there might be a contingency listening who might call bullshit in that this being included as a torture porn movie. Saw does have that stink on it. It does have that reputation. But the more I think about Saw and the more I watch them, the, the less I think maybe necessarily they earn the title. Right. Uh, it is an entertaining movie. Um, it, it, it's got, you know, a lot of characters, so a lot of bloodletting as a result. The twist is not yet getting super irritating because it's only the second time that they've hit this. Uh, it works way better than uh, you'd expect it to. So, <laughs> yeah, when you get down to part five, part six, you're like, okay, and, and the twist is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, again, I don't want to oversell it. I'm not a huge Saw person generally, but there it sits on the list. I had it at number two for a while, too. And again, I had this complete flip flop on, on Wolf Creek. I originally just found it so unpleasant that I just kind of, who gets entertainment out of this? I don't get it. But. Upon watching it again, and maybe because I'd seen it and knew what to expect, I could appreciate the thoughts and the filmmaking and the performances more than maybe I did on first pass. So I'm glad that I watched it again, and I surprised myself by putting it in first place. But if you want to watch something violent, ugly, and torturous, Wolf Creek is a pretty good example of that. So I'm putting it in first place. And that's my list. That's a decent list. I can get behind that, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I promise you I will give Frontiers another day in court. This is how much I respect your taste in horror, brother. <laughs> it's got to be the right day. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, uh, so ends episode 149 of Rank and Review, brother. Wow. Uh, uh, I believe that we had talked about perhaps a found footage episode in your future. Is that still something you're interested in? Oh, for sure. <laughs> nice. Until then, my friend. So we did it. We made it through that torture porn list. And I'm so happy that Scott wasn't like super into I Spit on Your Grave. Like, I've known Scott as long as I've been alive. And like, it would be really weird if he was like totally into a movie that absolutely kind of appalled me. I mean, I'm sure we would still walk away friends and everything like this. But I'm glad if we if we agreed nowhere else, I'm glad we agreed on I Spit on Your Grave. I hope I never am in a position to watch that movie again. Yuck. Anyway, uh, next episode, I promise, we're going to lighten up the proceedings. 
Big, big thanks to Scott Lehman. Always great to hear your voice, brother. Thank you for being here. Always a solid guest. You will hear him again. And please send me your feedback at rankingreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please check out the website at rankingreview.ca. Please keep your ear to the ground for Book of Trespasses. We're still trying to get that movie out there. And if you're looking for another horror movie podcast, I could consider trying the Terror Table podcast because they know what they're doing. Please spread the word on Rank and Review, and we'll see you for the 150th episode.